Welcome to Trust the Journey. I'm Melanie Curtis. And I'm Jason Maletsky. Our mission is to live, laugh, love, and learn together with you. We're here to create conscious connections, to grow, and to contribute through our practice of openness, honesty, vulnerability, humility, and trust. Trusting the entire journey. If you want to find us on the internet, family, go to trustthejourney.today. That's our website. It's our Instagram. Please like, comment, share, subscribe. Give us five stars if you feel it. Uh, Also join us in the Trust the Journey family. If you want to expand the conversation with us directly, you go to our website, trustthejourney.today, scroll down, donate on Patreon in any amount, and we'll add you to that private Facebook group. Yeah, it's a great group. We would love to have you there. We would appreciate your support in any way, shape, or form. Thank you for supporting the podcast and the project. We'd also like to thank our editor, Kimberly Joy Voice, for taking over the editing and for managing the posting of the show for us. She's been just great. If you would like some of her services available as a podcast editor, you can reach out to her at KimberlyJoyVoice at gmail.com, and she'll be glad to help you out. We love you, Kim! <laughs> We love you. All right. Okay, so today we are diving in. In this episode, we're talking about money, (laughs) which seems like I kind of love that it's, you know, this singular topic, of course, that can go so many different directions that might seem superficial to talk about, but yet is something that's really in our societal construct. And for people that are choosing to live inside of that part of it, it's an important piece. And a lot of people don't talk about it. So I like that we're going we're gonna to give it some airtime. It's unavoidable. It's a, it's a topic that even if we think we can choose to kind of skirt it or avoid it or or not make it what we're about. It's an unavoidable part of our lives that we have to accept that this is one of the key tools that we need to learn how to manage, how to wield, like how to attain, right? It's such a powerful tool. It's a really powerful tool. It's an incredibly powerful entity. And we have to figure out you know, how to interact with it and how to make it work for us instead of against us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I talk about this with life coaching clients a lot, this, that our relationship to money, how we all have our own unique relationship to money and how that can absolutely and often does for many who are growth minded, it does evolve over time because usually we have a particular mindset around money or a particular relationship based on where we're from, based on our parental influence or our young influences. And that then colors how we interact with money-making endeavors, how we interact with how we spend and this and that. And that then over time sort of metastasizes and grows into a certain life experience around wealth or lack thereof or scarcity or whatever. And so oftentimes people have a sort of reckoning with their relationship with money or not necessarily a reckoning. It doesn't have to be a big reckoning. It can be. But finally, people will bring a and I'm this has happened to for me for sure, is bringing some consciousness to it and being like, what do I really think about it? You know, what Am I thinking about it that's holding me back? And what can I work on that I can tweak in my mindset and my approach such that my relationship and my experience of life and wealth will change over time? And so that I think is really useful work for people to think about, especially if we are in the camp of, oh, I don't care about money, which most of the time I'm in that camp for the for the majority of what I speak out loud and I mean it and I really mean it. I'm like, I don't care about money. I care much more about relationship, connection, this, da, 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 like the work and if I'm purposeful and am I care about, do I care about what I'm doing and all of those things, which are my driving forces. And then Jay, I want to touch back on something you just said to start this conversation off about the power of it. 
once I was like, oh, if I'm a purposeful, driven person and I'm doing good things in the world, the world benefits when I have money. Once I shifted that in my own mindset around money, I stopped feeling guilty for my entrepreneurial self. I stopped feeling guilty when I would make money, when I, I stopped feeling guilty when I wanted to charge more. It was like, I know that I'm doing good work in the world. And as a result, if I have more power from being financially more secure, more better off, then the world is better. So that really was a big initial shift in my own personal relationship with money that helped me succeed financially so much more once I made that shift. Yeah, I absolutely resonate with what you're saying. It's a very challenging topic. I think um, from my own perspective, you know, I grew up in a uh, in a poverty uh, type environment. So my mother was in a car accident and she was on disability for a long time. She was a single mother. And so we had no auxiliary means of income for most of my childhood. So we lived in government provided housing and we were on welfare and disability. And mm -hmm. so we lived in a very, very meager existence. You know, your typical well below the poverty line type of uh, uh you know, Western society type mm -hmm. living. And as I started to mature and get it on my own, I quickly learned how to make money. Mm. It didn't take me very long to realize that I had the skills to, or talents to be able to employ uh, myself in a way where I could very quickly attain an income level for myself that outperformed most of the people that I had in my life. Mm -hmm. And that put me in a very challenging position to what was my relationship to money. So suddenly I could afford to provide for my family in a way where my family didn't ever have that before. Like it, things were a big deal, you know, like little things were a big deal. We didn't have money to spend on things. We had mm -hmm. old beat up cars. We had, you know, beat up housing, rarely got new anything. And when I moved to a uh, being able to bring money in, I started to have the first, the, the, oh, suddenly I can gift and I can provide and this. And then there was this realization of like, oh, do I have, is there an ego connection to this? Is there a, how do I feel about money? And coming into my teens, I mean, I, before I was even in my 20s, I was starting to have the tortured relationship with money of going, oh, I don't like what I'm seeing about how money rules the world mm -hmm. and how power and money are put in the same category together. Mm -hmm. And so I developed an association, which I think is what you're talking about, which is based in the concept that if I have money, therefore I'm powerful. If I have money, therefore I'm greedy. Mm -hmm. And these things start to become synonymous with each other. And it's just not true. Mm -hmm. there, there, Some people have those things inside of their character and they, they employ them together. And others are able to separate the concept that having money, using money, earning money does not mean that you're greedy, does not mean that you're employing it as a tool of power, you know, or maybe you are, but maybe positive it's in a, power, in a, in yeah. a positive way. Yeah. yeah, it's a light, a light way. Mm -hmm. So I hear where you're coming from in a very personal way. As I remember choosing to detach you know there was a point early on where i started to, where I, I said fuck it mm -hmm. i don't care about this concept that everybody lives in about earning money you know putting all this pile of imaginary value in the bank that, that like, the whole thing didn't make any sense to me the concept of economy doesn't make any like i just didn't get it mm -hmm. and as you know, I mean, I lived a large portion of my life with my key priorities being absolutely unrelated to money. They were about experience mm -hmm. and connection and exploration and all these other things. But what we learn is, as you were saying, this tool, we need to learn how to wield this sword if we want to be powerful beings within our own lives and within our societies and our cultures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I 
thank you for your sharing because gosh, I don't know the exact statistics or anything like that, but I was reading something the other day about the distribution of wealth and at least in the United States, but I think it was the world. I, I can't tell you, but it's ridiculous in terms of the amount of people in the world that are at or below the poverty line. And I think why talking about that is important is because scarcity feelings and fears are really powerful. Because like, fucking A, man, I have certainly had my own experiences with scarcity. You know, being an entrepreneur, being a business owner, being responsible for my own life and paying for all of it and all the things, right, that you do as a business owner. It's it's really, really stressful, at least for me. This is this has been my life experience. When I, I like to think of it as there's a financial, everyone has a financial threshold where if they are below it, they are feeling scarcity fear. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's an exact number for people. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a feeling or a sense or I don't really know what the measure would be per se, but, or maybe like the credit card debt is starting to grow versus being something you can pay off every month. Like there's some measure, some something in in, a, in your life that indicates that you are in a sort of scarcity zone or in a in an unsafe situation financially. And that can trigger us into that scarcity fear and that scarcity mindset. Now, why I bring this up is because, fuck, it's hard. It is re- It feels really hard when we are in that state of mind around money. And I, the most significant scarcity slump that I had in my business was probably like, six, eh, actually it was probably like seven years ago, six years ago now, something like that, where I was like still kind of coming out of my big breakdown period. And that being in the breakdown and being in such emotional challenge had me really struggle to service my business, to put out marketing, to write inspirational content, to be on video, like as a personal brand, that was very difficult for me during that period. And it impacted my business. And so then as I'm starting to kind of come out of this personal challenge and struggle, I then find myself in this major financial struggle as well. And I even applied for a fucking job. I was like, you know what? I can go back and work at the investment bank and make a shitload of money. And I literally, I applied, I'd interviewed with Goldman Sachs and I was like, seeing if that was going to be an answer for me because I genuinely wasn't sure. At the same time, I was also gathering the courage to persist to keep going, to go, if I just, I believe that if I keep showing up, that I will get through this. Like, I didn't have any idea how that was going to happen because at least in my business, it's very hard to predict when business will come in. And luckily I got through it. Luckily I got through it, but I just want to bring that up because for people listening that are in that scarcity place, I just want to acknowledge and validate how hard that can feel and how difficult it can can be to believe and to persist through those periods. But at least for me, that's what I did. And I'm so thankful that I stayed the course because, oh, my God, oh, I would not be a good fit for a job. (laughs) (laughs) I can totally relate. I've thought recently, actually, a number of times I've thought about the idea of working for somebody else. And since it's been so long since I've truly had a job uh, that isn't working for myself or some form of self-employment, I struggled greatly with the concept of being in that kind of a structure. And that's mm-hmm. just my personality. Yeah, you me know, too. And, and a, you know, a couple of decades of being self-sufficient. Um, I wanted to talk about a couple things with that are kind of like foundational concepts. One of them is um, 
and I'm struggling to pull up the word, and I'm sure you'll tell me what it is as soon as I ask for it. Um, it's the opposite of scarcity. Abundance. Abundance. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So uh, for a long time in my life, I lived on this principle of there will always be more. And I never worry about not having enough because all I need is what today is about. It was very much now based living. And I wouldn't worry about the future. I wouldn't worry about tomorrow. I just know that there'll be enough when there needs to be enough. And I'll do the things that I need to do at the time when those times come, there'll always be enough. And so I never worry about spending what I have. Like I would spend my last dollar on a skydive to go and make a skydive, or I would take a road trip or fly to another, like I flew to South America with like $175 in my pocket, (laughs) you know, with no return ticket, you know, like no plan at all of how this is going to come together, but a mindset that there's always going to be enough. And I just don't need to worry about it and just enjoy where I am. And this isn't easy. This is a really challenging shift to make within our kind of general concepts of how our lives and the world and economy work because we're taught the opposite. Everything that we're taught in school tells us in our lives to prepare for this idea that we have to be planning for the future all the time. And there's a truth to that that is of great value. But at the same time, the concept of abundance will provide. It's amazing how I have this thing when I hit that threshold you were talking about, when I start to get a little fearful, I start worrying about how much money I have in my pocket or in the bank. What I do is I start increasing the amount that I tip people. Mm -hmm. My immediate response when I'm like, ooh, I'm low is I send gifts to people and I start increasing my tips and I start randomly gifting cash out to people with this intention that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And so when I give away, it immediately comes back to me. And it's a practice that I've learned in this concept of abundance that has continually showed itself to be true. And I've never found myself continuing down the slope when I start to realize I'm feeling that fear and I return, my response to that fear is there will be more. Mm-hmm. Give, give it to that person who just smiled and worked hard. Hand that person on the quarter a, a dollar or an apple or whatever who needs something, you know, like give it back. And then it just immediately comes back every time. Yeah, I, gr- I agree. And the, the reason I actually tell the scarcity story that I just told is because it is one of the only times that has ever happened to me. I have for some reason, and I've said this before, maybe not on the show, maybe, I don't know. I always, I just have always felt safe relative to money in a, in a way. And it's not that I grew up in some rich area. I was probably middle class, you know, like average middle class. You know, I had a house and got to do sports in school and stuff like that. I wasn't going hungry or anything like that, but I wasn't living in some big mansion. I couldn't get all the coolest clothes and shoes, but I I was good, you know? So that was sort of my, my familial upbringing. But in general, overall, money... It, 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 I have felt abundant around it in the sense that I always was like, it, it'll be there. There'll, there's plenty to go around. That's, that's been my notion and my feeling around work and coaching work as well. Whether in skydiving room, like I've always felt there's just plenty of work to go around. I didn't, I never felt this really hardcore competitive edge around coaching work, whether it was skydiving coaching or life coaching or speaking or whatever else. I'm just like, there's, there's plenty to go around. So this notion of being generous was easy, was, it was easy to be generous because I was not in a scarcity place. I'm like, if they have more, that's okay. I, I, there's plenty for me, you know, and that's definitely served me over the course of my life just to have a, a more peaceful life experience, but I also would contest that there are actual literal returns that come from showing up that way as well. Maybe they're not measurable per se, like direct measure 
um, this tit for tat type of measurement. But yeah. I believe very deeply what you what you said about it comes back to you. It just it just yeah. comes back to you. That's something uh, I've done a lot of reading about a uh, number of different books about the concept concept of abundance versus scarcity. And there's really an energetic thing within ourselves. I mean, we are electrical beings. We have an electrical charge, an electrical field. And when we're charged with positive energy and then we return positive energy gets returned to us. So the whole magnetism thing and that whole energy and aura of like what we're attracting, that happens in every phase. So if we're happy, then happy people are attracted to us. If we're sad, then sad people are attracted to us. And if we feel like there's an abundance of money, then there will be an abundance of money. Um, I want to touch on another piece that was something that I think many of our listeners will be able to relate to. And it's in that phase of, I don't want my life to be about making money, right? And this is a really big decision. And when we see a lot within our, our community of the skydiving community, that's a hugely prominent piece of people's life decisions. They're like, I'm mm -hmm. gonna prioritize my life experience on a day-to-day -day basis over the amount of money that I have in the bank. And in choosing to do that, you place a value on money that makes it lower than what you're doing with your time. Mm -hmm. Your time becomes more important than your money. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really powerful concept to recognize. It has values in both directions where if we choose to do that, what we do is empower ourselves to recognize that the most valuable currency in our life is time because it is a finite amount. You cannot buy more. It's limited in its, and we just don't know when it's going to run out. So our time is really the, the highest value and it's a hugely important thing to recognize. But if we place the difference between time and money too vastly separated, then we'll find ourselves in very challenging times in our life where I haven't made money enough of a priority. Now I live a lifestyle that challenges how I use my time. Correct. And I can relate to this from my own decision making in life where I'm like, yeah, there'll be enough. I'm not worried about it. I'm not prioritizing making money. I'm prioritizing the life experiences that I'm having the people I'm interacting with, the places that I'm going, all the things that are happening. And when that coffer runs down to the bottom and now my car is old and beat up and needs new tires and I don't have any money in the bank and now I'm in a pinch situation and I don't have the means to take care of myself, now I end up relying on uh, the gratitude of others, the goodwill of others. Um, you know, people coming in to kind of rescue my situation, mm -hmm. which will likely inevitably happen. You know, there's a very good chance that that's likely going to happen because people are good natured. People mm -hmm. will take tend to take care of each other. But it's not a comfortable place to be in ourselves. It, it becomes a needy situation rather than a I have an abundance situation. Yeah. And so. From my own experience, I learned that I needed to close the gap between mm -hmm. where I prioritize money in my life versus my time. And uh, I want to tell a story because yeah. this is it's one of my favorites. It's a it's such an impactful story. It stayed with me. Uh, it's 20 years, actually, this year since uh, this happened. So I was traveling the country. Uh, I was having a hell of a time. Let me just say um, <laughs> I had an RV, like a 22 or 23 foot motorhome, and I was traveling the country as a professional skydiver. I had all the ratings. I was doing tandems and AFF, and I had all camera equipment. I could coach. Like it was basically a one stop shop. I could do rigging. I had sewing machines. I had all everything. So I would could roll into anywhere, and I could say, "Here, I could give, provide you any skydiving service you need." and I could earn some money. So I had set myself up with skill sets that empowered me to be able to be, to earn wherever I was going. My RV blew an engine and I didn't have the funds or the time to be able to replace that engine. 
in the with the schedule of what my plans were coming up. So I went to a friend of mine who was an incredibly generous person who I'd really just met. His name was Kevin. And he had a car for sale. And this car was like an old Fox body Ford Mustang chocolate metallic brown two-door <laughs> nice. stick shift with a tan interior. It's the car that I would never buy, like a four-cylinder, uh-huh. just not a not a good car. <laughs> and I said to Kevin, who his nickname was Freak, I said, Kevin, I want to buy your car because I need a vehicle right now, but I don't have the money for your car right now. But I promise you that I will come back and I will pay you the full amount that you're asking for this car. And can you please leave the plates on it? Because I need to leave right away. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and he just like kind of hung his head down and he looked at me and he gave me that kind of sigh. He's like, oh man, you have to come back in October, September, October for the boogie and pack for the boogie and pay me for the car. Okay. I'm like, I promise I'll come back. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I head off around on a round cross the country tour, doing a full circle all the way around the USA. And to go from one drop zone to another boogie to another event to another and working at each event, making enough money to get from one to the next and trying to build up a a coffer in the meantime, Mm -hmm. you know, so I can come back and pay for the car at the end of the season and get my RV fixed and put a new motor in my RV. Uh, Uh, So all those things. And what I found myself in the situation, and this is kind of the, the, there's a couple key pieces in this story is I was driving across Montana and I had had a flat tire. The tires on the car were not great. I had had one flat already. I had tried to put some fix a flat. I got a second flat and they were both leaking quickly. And I got off the road into some, I don't know if you've been through Montana, there's not a lot out there. I pull into some campground and I park the car and both rear tires are just running down to the bottom. And I'm just like, oh man, I have like $150 in my pocket, which was at the time just enough gas money to get me from Montana to Chicago. And I was planning to work and hopefully make some more money in Chicago. And I'm sitting there looking at my tires going, okay, if I spend all the money on my tire, if I spend the money to fix the tires, I don't have money for gas. Never mind that. I'm not in a tire shop. I'm in the middle of nowhere (laughs) with flat tires. So I can't even fix the tires. And while I'm standing there around the corner walks an old friend of mine from Florida that I haven't seen in a number of years. And she's just on a random road trip around the country and happened to stop and camp at that campground. And she's like, hey, Jay, how you doing? You know, and we're like, hi. And she's like, oh, no problem. I'll get you a new set of tires. And oh my God. We jump, we jump, she jumps in her car and I jump mm-hmm. in mine. We fill the tires up enough to get air in them and we drive in, you know, convoy to the next town. Mm-hmm. And she buys me a set of new used tires yep. and gives me some cash. And the tire guy gives me like $25 <laughs> off. And I'm off on the next stretch across the country. And I make it to South Dakota, go through Sturgis, the bike rally's going on. I get into Iowa, I'm going around a corner and I blow a fuel pump. Oh my God. Okay. So now I'm on the side of the highway with a blown fuel pump. I have like $50 now because I have just enough to get me from Iowa to get to Chicago and I have nothing else. I have no phone. I have no bank account. I have no credit cards. I have nothing. I'm living hand hand to mouth, you know, make money, have money. And this is where the, the interesting thing is that I'm on the side of the road. I have the skills. I suss out the problem with the vehicle. I figure out what's wrong with it. I get the thing apart. I take out the part I need. Now I have to figure out where to go to get parts because it's before cell phones were common. And I start thumbing rides and picked up by some local native people and they drive me to an auto parts store and, and some bikers help donate some cash on the side of the road. And before you know it, I'm back on the road after a couple of days of adventuring and living in the car on the side of the road. And a day later, I'm in Chicago and I've worked, I've made enough money. I have like 1500 bucks in my pocket from entering a competition, from working a, a bunch of video jumps. And like, it's just the standing on the side of the road in the middle of the prairie 
homeless with no cash, no <laughs> bank account, no family to call up and be like, hey, yeah. help me out of this situation. Yeah. And just totally relying upon the goodwill of others, like actually walking over to, and we've all had this happen to us. Hey, do you have a few dollars for gas? Mm, yeah. Walking over to somebody on the side of the road and being like, hey, I'm out of gas and I need to get to Chicago to get to my next work, work next good job, you know, oh. live, living that whole thing. And that's right around that time is when I started to recognize, I'm like, oh, I need to make having more money on me all the time. Like I can't get this close to the threshold. Yeah. You know, when I when I don't put enough attention towards it and keep it enough of a priority relative to what I'm doing with my time, mm-hmm. then it slips off the scale. Yeah. And suddenly I'm like really dependent upon everybody that I encounter to be able to support my needs as a human. Yeah. I'm oh so grateful gosh. for the people. So Sharon, thank you. I just ch- chatted with her a couple of days ago and I paid her back for those tires nice. about 10 years later. I called her up and was <laughs> like, hey, that. I should pay you back for these because that's how karma works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, God, you're telling one of your most profound stories. It makes me think of one of my most profound stories. Please. I never know if I've told something on the podcast or not before, <laughs> but I'm just going to, this is so relevant to today's conversation. I'm going to share it again if I have shared it, but it, it makes me think, so you're going from the perspective of time is, is, is trumping, you know, the, the decision of time versus the decision of money versus the decision of purpose. So for me, I, when I was at Skydive Elsinore and I was running the drop zone and living the dream and I have, I had the, you know, the, the moment where I'm walking across the drop zone and I realize it hits me like a Mack truck. Not really. It hits me like a tickle in my brain. I knew that I wouldn't be happy if that was all that I did. I knew that if I only did professional skydiving in that form I knew just years down the line, I just wouldn't be happy. I knew that. That launched me into looking around for life coaching and this and that, da, 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 da. Anyway, around the same time, I was jumping and helping people. I had my AFF rating. I was coaching young jumpers and competing and training and all this stuff. And you know Jim Hickey, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Jim, he came to the drop zone. He rocks up to the front desk and he's like, I want to learn to base jump. And he has zero skydives, <laughs> which is like so wonderful. If you know anything about it, you need to learn to fly parachutes and go skydiving before you can jump off stuff. Do you know, I, I met Jim Hickey randomly at a gate in the airport. I think it was Ontario airport no. when he had about 20 skydives oh. and he was, and he, and he told me all about it. And he oh. said, I want to learn to base jump. And we talked about it. So it was right in that same window. Oh my and it was God. a totally random interaction at, in a social, you know, public place. That makes me so happy. That's probably yeah. around this time that I'm meeting yeah. him. I'm sure it was close. Yeah. Because basically what they did at Elsinore, they were, he was struggling to get through AFF like level five or something. He was this older man in his sixties, really stiff. And so he struggled flying. He struggled with stability and skydiving and they asked me, so I said, hey, Mel, we have this guy. He's just struggling. We think he, we, he needs like some one-on-one like support to get through AFF. Will you work with him? I was like, fuck yeah, sweet. Let's do it. Who is this guy? And I, <laughs> so this is what I meet, Jim. We work together and I help him through AFF. I just, we just work together. We do as many jumps as we need to do and we get him through his license and he's so thankful and, and he goes on to do tons of jumps and he flies a wingsuit. He ends up being in this amazing commercial that he was in and this and that. He was featured as this extreme older adventurer in a V8 commercial. He was in print ads. He was in the, you know, the TV ad. It was amazing. And he was always jumping at the drops and on every single load he could be on. He was the he's the best. And we became friends, of course. He also went on to start base jumping, which was totally amazing. He really pursued his his dreams. He really was like, I'm going for it. So anyway, around the same time, I'm having this this transition in my own life of 
of what am I going to do next? I'm, I'm really happy now doing this professional skydiving thing here at Elsinore. And I, I just, I need to know, I just want, I was like, I got to start thinking about what's next. So I find life coaching and that's the very condensed version of the story. I find life coaching and I think, oh my God, life coaching. Ugh, that sounds so stupid. (laughs) A, it sounds stupid. And B, it sounds like a scam. And then I was like, oh, there was a part of my intuition that was like, okay, it's either BS, total scam, or it's a part of my calling. So I'm like, oh my God, so annoying. Like, fuck, I have to like look up this totally cheesy thing called life coaching and, you know, learn about it because I might, it might be part of my life's work shit. So, (laughs) so anyway, I do more research and I figure out it's a real thing. And I find this program that I feel very intuitively drawn to. And it is, I think, $8,500. So I had since left investment banking, I'm now fully in my working as a professional skydiver making absolute peanuts. I, I made a barely anything. I agreed to the lowest, most ridiculous salary as a as the professional skydiver first working at Skydive Elsinore because I didn't know any better. And I also wanted to do it so bad that I was willing to say yes to pretty much anything. So I was both young and didn't know how to negotiate, didn't really recognize what asking for one's worth was and not really understanding that, but also really, really wanting to do it and being willing to do anything for it. So anyway, I don't have $8,500 to spend on a life coaching program, but I'm like feeling called to do it. And no joke, it's my birthday. It was my birthday, January 27th, 2007. And I said, you know what? I I trusted my, my gut. And I said, here's my credit card. They charged $8,500 on my credit card that I didn't know how I was going to pay for. And I'll tell you. interest rates. Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. And I'll tell you, I did that with skydiving too when I was competing at the higher levels because I was working in investment bank and I could pay my credit card bills off every month because I was making a lot more money. But in this case, I knew I I wasn't making that much money and I didn't know how I was going to pay for this. But when I paid for it, I felt a, a peace wash over me. It was so clear that it was the right decision. So even though I had this sort of financial worry around it, once I actually took the action and threw my hat over the proverbial fence, as in there's no getting it back, like this is happening, it was clear to me that it was the right call. So fast forward, I go back to the drop zone like, I don't know, a few days later or something, and I hadn't seen Jim for a while. He was out base jumping, doing some some cool shit that he was doing those days, and I see him. I'm like, Jim, what's up? How are you? Like we hug and does that. And he's like, Mel, uh, I left you something on your desk in your office. And I was like, oh, great, great, great. I'll get it after this load. Da, da, da. So I land from the load. I go up to my office and there's this shoebox there with little bows on it. Like it's clearly a present, you know, it's clearly this really nice present. So I grab it and I take it down to my team room and my teammate Steve's in, in the team room. And I start opening it up and I open it up and inside is a stack of $100 bills, $5,000 and a note from Jim that says, Melanie, I've always wanted to give a shoebox full of money to a deserving person. <laughs> I like freaking, freaking cry every time I tell this oh my story. Gosh. So I start bawling, of course, and uh, I'm shaking even telling this story. It's like moves me every time. I'm definitely doing this to someone else. And I have this is happening, by the way. I don't know if it's in the works, but like some project is is going to is being born out of this experience. It just hasn't fully manifested yet. But anyway, I start bawling. 
I go down to thank Jim and, and I'm like, ah, crying. And, and he's like, <laughs> he's like, I didn't, didn't know it would do that. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd have to know Jim. He's yeah. this like really stoic kind of very, very straight laced dude. And, and for me, that experience was powerful evidence that the universe responds when you trust yourself the universe fucking responds and so not only did almost he that was almost all of the life coaching thing that i paid but no joke not one week later a stunt job a uh what's it called um a commercial that i had gotten like I was able to try out for that I didn't get the job for they came back to me they came back to me and I also got that job for that stunt job so not only did I get this $5,000 shoebox full of money and my brain was blown forever more to trust myself and my intuition I also got a stunt doubling job for a commercial that paid me over $25,000. So not only did I pay for my life coaching and more, I was, it was like I was wildly and immediately rewarded for trusting myself. So that's the exact same story. Mm -hmm. I like when I left Montana, I had $150 in my pocket. When I left Chicago, I had $1,500 in my pocket. It was like a a 10X thing where you're like, I'm going to have 10 times more than I had by trusting, like passionately going towards my goal without a single clue of where the next dollar is going to come from, but just knowing that it'll be there. Yeah. It's the same story. It's so interesting. how It is. It really is. We manifest our realities every day with every decision that we make. Absolutely. And I do look forward. I I am very excited about the potential of where that idea is. I've been been working on it for a number of years. It's and it's coming. It's not quite there yet, but mark my words, something will exist that that furthers that 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 pillar of generosity into the future from me to others. I'm excited to hear where it pans out. Yeah. I want to touch on like pivot us just a little yeah. bit. Um, I had an experience a number of years ago, which really changed my perspective in a, in a big way. I have struggled with my own life story because of my relationship to the military industrial complex. And it's that the whole concept of the earning from the military is something that really was like the universe handed me this challenge and was like you want to have a, a you know an ego challenge how's this mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna make your living uh i've made my living for most of my life by following my passions by risking it all by doing and i like to laugh about this because it's it's the beautiful irony is I chose to do something incredibly stupid with my life, which is spin around. (laughs) And then by spinning around, I would fall really fast. And then at the last second, just barely missed the ground. And that's what I made the most important thing in my life, which is just dumb. Right. When I was doing it, I knew (laughs) that I'm like, okay, this is the dumbest thing I could do. I'm going to make the most important thing in my life is spinning around and barely missing the ground. Yeah. What? Right? Like, like what? this is stupid. I know. What a dumb priority. Like my priority <laughs> is barely miss the ground every time and try not to die going as fast as I can not dying. It's so it's funny. Just dumb. Oh and and God. having the, and not knowing where the dollar is going to come from that supports that or puts a roof or food over, yeah. over my head or food in my mouth. And clearly within my own mind knowing I'm prioritizing this action of ridiculousness and that's going to end up in me having all that I need to support myself and have a full and reward rewardful life. Mm-hmm. And that turned into an opportunity to earn a living through training soldiers and the receiving an income from a concept which truly battled my 
my intentions as a being. I've always been a pacifist and a peacemaker and Mm -hmm. I don't believe in war. And uh, having this money come from a source that I was really challenged by, I had to sit and think and I almost walked away a couple of times. Like I sat down with all my partners and said, I don't know if I could do this. I don't know that I can receive, like, like honestly receive this and feel good about it because of where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things like that in our lives. Like we run into these things where suddenly we're like, where is this coming from and why? And I took it within myself and sat with it and like meditated on it and like asked myself deep questions. Like, how, how do I really feel about this? And my decision has always come down to a couple of things. One of them is... What do I do with it? How do I choose to use this energy that I'm now receiving, which is in the form of money? How do I leverage that in my life to then further its value? Do I continue its value in the direction that it was or do I pivot it towards something else? And so I've made clear choices within myself about how I choose to target my application of those tools and this podcast is a great example i love of that, that. So I'm like give giving back to the world in a way where i'm going to have a positive impact yeah um, the second piece of this was in a vision that i received in one of my psychedelic ceremonies and this one really troubled me like i really really didn't sit well for a long time i had a hard time fathoming this um And, you know, we all have those things that sometimes like somebody presents an idea and we're just like, I I don't know about that. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's your idea. Maybe I don't resonate with it. Mm -hmm. And what I was presented in this experience, and this is, of course, my own, my own experience is within my own mind is I was shown a system of commerce that exists beyond this version of reality. Mm -hmm. So what it was, was an exchange taking place between different systems. Um, so it was basically showing me that money as a as an idea mm-hmm. exists in all forms of reality that we're always exchanging one thing for another. So it it, it mirrors Einstein's theory that all energy always ceases, always exists, right? Yeah. It never ceases to exist. And if we look at our own biomechanics, we can see that if we want to feel something, a neurotransmitter releases some chemical, another receptor receives that chemical, there's a transaction. Mm-hmm. So something is given, something is received, and because of that, there's an experience. And it really took me some time to get to understand that money is just doing that same thing at another level mm-hmm. where money's being the currency in this case is paper or electronic or gold or whatever, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever version of currency crypto mm-hmm. we're talking about, mm-hmm. like it's some other version, but throughout our whole lives, that there's a, there's multitude of versions. The first being nutrition. Like we have to give ourselves food in order to be able to sustain ourselves yeah. so that we can continue to have this experience. And there's no real difference between having to put money into our ourself to be able to do whatever we want to do. Just like I have to put food into myself to be able to do what I want to do. I have to put the vitamins in. Like there's this exchange that never stops. And we don't really get a choice here. And that's the big thing. Like we have to breathe in and we have to breathe out. If I stop doing those things, I'll cease to exist. Mm -hmm. And this is the same thing with money. Like if I don't create a positive nurturing manifesting abundance relationship with money then there'll never be enough and i'll i'll die if i don't have some money in my life to sustain who i am and what i'm doing i will literally die i will be dependent upon others to support me and the more that i bring in the more i can do so i can be have a life filled with giving to others creating systems that support a healthy society? Do I want to collect it and keep it all for myself? Is that healthy? No, that's like cancer. 
Mm-hmm. When we start to have too much of something, mm-hmm. right? We start to have an, an overabundance. It starts to could just continue to grow and we can't stop it. And then we have a tumor and then it kills us. So yeah. there's this relationship of health and wealth that are, isn't that neat how those words are so close to each other? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Like we have to have an amount that sustains a fruitful existence if we have too little then we we suffer and if we have too much we suffer yeah, yeah for sure poison is only a poison based on the dose right the dosage yeah, yeah. and it's the same yeah there's no difference yeah there. yeah yeah for sure i mean i don't know what the experience of life is to be so wildly rich that everyone is wanting my time and attention and i never know if someone's intentions are pure or just wanting money from me you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what that life experience is like. I imagine it's a painful one. I imagine there's a lot of, of stresses and struggles that I don't experience and can't necessarily understand, but empathetically can imagine. And so, yeah, that from the perspective of, of uh, an over and excess of something being a detriment, but it's interesting that you bring up the I'll die is one of the things that I did to help myself support myself around scarcity fear is I called Shannon and Carolyn, my two best friends in the world. And I just honestly was like, if I am ever totally fucking destitute, like this is not was not happening, but it was like I was recognizing the catastrophic thought in my mind of being like, if I am ever like going to be homeless or I'm ever not going to be able to feed myself. Like, will you help me? (laughs) You know, like basically having that, what seems like a ridiculous conversation with someone I wildly and deeply trust to be like, and it, it's not even like that is something I need to lean on or like, oh, I'm going to get there. But for some reason, just having the honest dialogue that that fear somewhere existed in me, where I I actually had fear around being homeless or destitute and being not being able to actually feed myself, like that I would starve. You know what I mean? Again, it's not very conscious, but it was there. And I'm like, is when I talked about it and was held around that and was supported around that, I now I'm like, I'm not afraid of those things. You, you also created an emergency backup system mm-hmm. and put redundancies in place. Yep. And this is something that we do in all different forms of our life where if we consciously put in place systems to ensure that if there's a failure point, we have a way to respond to it, then our stress levels, our anxiety can go down and yes. we don't have to be in this emotional state. We can be in a functional decision-making place. We, yes. right? we all know that when our stresses are high, it's because we don't have systems to manage things. Right. So true. The other thing I want to touch on, which we haven't touched on much, is when we are in a solid financial place and we're wanting to create and build, because there's also this place where I mean, and this is certainly from an entrepreneurial perspective and people who are in business for themselves and growing in that type of way, this notion of of positioning ourselves in the world as we grow, you know, so what does it look like to price what our service is worth? You know what I mean? What is where, how does one determine that at the levels at which they, they reach or start? You know what I mean? And I don't have an exacting answer for that per se. All I want to say about that is that there, that reflective process is a really powerful and useful one. And it almost always requires a bit of bravery for people to charge anything for their time, because inherent in that is if they don't, if we don't receive it, then theoretically there's this message of you're not good enough. There's potential touching of the gremlin thoughts Right. So there's a vulnerability in putting oneself out there to be paid for anything. And I bring this up because, gosh, I mean, as a life coach, this is as a skydiving coach, it happened. But that was I was still so in the in the like intensity of my passion around that, that it was not 
it it felt weird, but I I was so still so young as a business person, as an entrepreneurial person, that I didn't have much consciousness around that. As I went into life coaching, and I then had this breadth of experience in skydiving coaching, growing and, and elevating my prices, and then having conversations with drop zones that would hire me and negotiating a higher sa- salary, stuff like that. I had a little bit more experience and I had gone through a little bit of the, I'm going to charge this and be okay with if they don't hire me because I know I need to charge this elevated rate now. And that was scary. But starting then in life coaching, it's like, oh God, it's this brand new thing that I really care about, that I really want people to like me for, that I really want to do well at. That was a really hard period where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do complimentary sessions. I'm going to charge $25, even though I don't really know what I'm doing. I've only done a handful of bit practice, but I'm going to start by having there be a precedent for my time being worth something. And so that's supported me for a long time. And anyway, I have more to say, but I want to let you weigh in. Oh, I completely relate. I mean, I can think of a number of different examples that are mirror the same situation. My most, I think most relevant and important to, to take, uh, at least to put on the table is the creative arts is an area where continually creative work is devalued yes. for the amount of time, energy, expertise, all the things that go into it. So a prime example for my own life is my DJing, right? Mm-hmm. I've been DJing for 20 years. I've DJed in about 15 or 20 countries, mm-hmm. right? I've probably, I have over 50 mixes up on my SoundCloud. It's like thousands and thousands of listens, followers. The value that gets placed upon a performance that I do ranges between zero dollars, <laughs> yeah. zero Like, just, would you like to come out and play? Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. And thousands of dollars. Yeah. Thousands, you know? And so it totally depends on people's perspective upon what they're receiving and what, how they value. It's, It's a, such a challenging thing. And I've, for a long time, I put my foot down and I was like, look, I'm not playing for less than this much. Yeah. And yeah. I would set yep. a standard rate for myself. Yeah. And that's still, it works, but it also means that a lot of opportunities go away. Mm-hmm. So there's less performances. So you're seen less. So you have less audience. And now there's this kind of tipping of the scale where you're like, yep. so it's a really challenging battle on a day to day basis to like find that sweet spot of playing for free or for low rates to keep an engagement with the audience. And because there is, and this is something I'm sure that you resonate with when you're doing something for other people, there's a heartstring that's like, this is a gift, mm-hmm. you know, I'm doing this or we're doing this to contribute to the greater good. Yep. And the fact that there's a remuneration inside of a cash form or money is that relationship is really challenging. I want to quote my good friend Rook because he's like, money always makes it weird. <laughs> right? <laughs> it money can. always makes it weird. It makes it weird where you're like, it can. If, if you're doing something that's passion, creative, love, nurture, you're like, okay, this is, and, but where those structures in society are well established, you know, like if you're going to a doctor's office, you have to pay for it, you know? Yeah. But there's still examples that slide in either direction every way. Yeah. And I think it's, you're bringing up something important about the societal belief and how we are in the process of changing that. You know what I mean? Like even just being willing to have this conversation, that's one reason I was excited to have it is that people so often avoid talking about money because there's, you know, this, this weird thing around it. You know what I mean? And I, I don't know enough about 
about it in terms of society's views on money. I don't, you know, like I, I need to learn more, but I, I do feel like there is some freedom in being willing to talk about those things and making it not weird. You know what I mean? Making it not weird so that there can the coexistence of love and passion and purpose and all that and money can coexist. They go right on the table. So, you know, we commonly say this, make it weird. Make Tell your weird. friends that you love them, make it right? Weird. Like get, be uncomfortably affectionate, like make, really make uh, it weird. So the whole thing of, of money, make it weird as well. Like be clear, like this needs to happen in order absolutely. for this to feel good. You know? Absolutely. Well, and I, yeah. I mean, this is something, and I, I know we're getting close. We can close up whenever, but like, this is something as an entrepreneur for me, as a, as a, public facing person who is selling services that directly connect to me personal brand i had i've had to get reckon with that i'd had i've had to really go directly at that feeling and find where i would be comfortable i had to figure out how to really be okay with that i charge this is what it costs to access me in this form. This is, and I feel very peaceful about that. I don't feel guilty about that. I don't feel whatever. And then there's this notion of, okay, cool. Well, how do you scale a service business? You only scale a service business by raising your rates, right? So there's no way I can grow as a life coach theoretically. And I don't want to start any life coaching school or anything like that. I really love the one-on-one work that I do. I really love the speaking and group facilitation work that I do. So the only way to scale that because it includes me is through price, theoretically, or doing subscription groups that I have, you know, stuff like that. That's why we have the Patreon model of way people can support us in a group setting that doesn't require more of our time and energy, but rather can grow as a community. But anyway, I just think those are things that we can think about too, is this like, where and how can I get comfortable and project that energy? Like, because in my life coaching client work, I talk a lot about money. We talk a lot about money because it's not mostly safe for it to be discussed outside of that space. So I've got a lot of experience sort of making conversations about money. No big deal. Yeah. Does that make sense? So yeah. anyway, I just wanted to touch on that because I think that's a valid goal for all of us is to contemplate how we can be more comfortable and make it make it weird with the goal of, of it not being weird in the future. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And stating our self-worth. I think in the end, it all comes back to that self-love concept that yeah. we have to say what we've what our value is, what our, what our, what our needs are. We have to state them clearly. They have to be shared and they have to, that has to be communicated and received and reciprocated in order for that relationship to be a healthy relationship. And I think that's, that's the foundation where we're talking about health, wealth again, like if we're not saying what we need, we're not setting the boundary that we need to set that ensures our health and well being. We're letting ourselves continually deplete and deplete and deplete and it just doesn't work. So absolutely it's really it's really important it's a huge practice i mean learning how to do that and be comfortable with it especially when you come from you know um a life experience that challenges you know how much we think we're worth so absolutely anyways let's wrap this up it's oh, been a wonderful episode it. it's so good <laughs> to speak with you again I know I missed you. I am so thrilled with walking each other home. Gosh, peeps, if you have not listened to Jay's new arm of the show, walking each other home, they're beautiful. Oh, my God. Just profound, wonderful. Oh, I'm so thrilled that we are bringing more people into our space with with walking each other home and conscious connections. I'm thrilled about all of that. Um, Yeah, so stay tuned for those, more of those. If you want to support us on Patreon, like we said, by all means, we welcome it. We welcome you into the family. We appreciate that financial gift and support to us, not just because of this episode, but always thank you for that. And trustthejourney.today is the channel. And what else? 
Uh, I'd like to thank Kimberly Joy Voice yeah. for editing. Uh, if you'd like her services, KimberlyJoyVoice at gmail.com. She can help you out. I would encourage you, if you have found value in the show, to think about how you can support us by sharing our episodes, by following us on Spotify, on iTunes, on YouTube, by supporting us on Patreon, everything that Melanie has said already. It really goes a long way to help you support the show. And we would like to thank you for listening. And we love you. We love you.